Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Health Connect South Radio. Brought to you by Sherwick Media, your health and wellness content specialist. Health Connect South is to serve the health community as a sustainable platform for regional health collaborations. Through our collective work, we seek to broadly define and advance the Southeast role in the future of health. Serving as a gateway between health industry silos, we seek to provide unique and meaningful partnership opportunities in health. We are pleased to share this information and these experts with you as part of our mission. Want to be part of the discussion? Join in, tweet questions and comments at HealthCon Radio. Good morning, everyone. It's C.W. Hall, your host here on Health Connect South Radio. Thanks for making us a part of your day again today from wherever you may be listening from. We've been listened to from all over the place in the United States and around the globe. So it's uh, an honor to have folks checking out what we have to say, uh, bringing to you uh, some of the very cool uh, health experts that are around the Atlanta area, uh, impacting uh, folks and their health in great ways. And and we're really excited to be a part of this with them, helping them kind of talk about what they're doing and, and find out some of the resources that they might need that you just might actually have access to that would make all this come together that much more quickly. So um, today is certainly no different. I'm really excited to be sitting down with Elaine Taylor-Klaus from the Impact ADHD. Um, we're going to be talking about AD, ADD and ADHD. And, and as I started kind of looking into things before the show, I didn't realize exactly how prevalent it was. Obviously, no Everyone knows about ADD, ADHD, those topics are talked about, but I didn't realize the extent to which it is prevalent in our children and even in adults. So, Elaine, thanks for taking some time to come over and uh, share some information, talk, talk about your story. My pleasure. It's great to be here. And so as I got into reading about you and your your colleagues, I, I read your story on your website, and uh, it's compelling. So can you take people through kind of what got you here? You're a little bit about your background, uh, both from what I understand, you've kind of dealt with some ADHD in your own life, both as, a, as an individual and then as a parent whose child or children faced the, the, the issue. So talk about how you got to where you are now. Okay. Well, I, you know, I'm a mom in an ADD family of five, and, uh, and I know that now, but I didn't always know that. And so I got, I got started in this realm, as so many parents do these days and as so many moms do, I think in a range of businesses, because my kids were struggling and I needed to figure out how to help them and support them. And um, as I got into understanding more and more, I have what I call three complex kids, they all have ADHD, um, and then various different other learning differences or emotional challenges or whatever that they struggle with. And as I think happens much, much more often these days, as we began to understand their ADHD, we began to recognize in ourselves what, um, what we didn't understand, but we knew we were struggling with something, my husband and I, but we didn't know what it was and didn't have a label for it. And for a lot of years, you know, with a lot of therapists, there were a lot of conversations about, is it this or is it that, you know? And as we began to understand what was happening um, and, and begin to get a handle on it, and that was really, really 10 years into parenting before I felt like I was beginning to get a little grounded. The first 10 years were awful. Yeah, talk stressful. about that. What, what, what were you experiencing as you were um, having I mean, your The best way I up? could describe it is, is my kids were failing to thrive. They weren't hitting milestones that their peers were hitting. Um, they were struggling with school. They weren't, um, you know, I have three kids, so it, diff- it was different for each one of them. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the challenges of, of a 
situation like ADHD, I guess there are two challenges. One is that it looks very different for different people because it's a broad range of symptoms that could lead to a diagnosis of ADHD. Um, and the other is because with ADHD comes about 70% of kids with ADHD have some coexisting condition. So ferreting out what is ADHD, what might be anxiety, what might be right. a learning disability can be very complicated, particularly right. in young children. So um, we knew we were dealing with issues. That's why I call them complex kids, because for so many parents, we spend a lot of years just trying to figure out what's going on. Yeah. What, you know, we know what the symptoms are. We know that we have kids who are you know, emotionally very clingy or socially inadept, or um, academically not performing commensurate with their intelligence. Or, you know, there's sort of different markers that you see. Um, but finding a name for it, a label for it, a, a, a way to, a framework for understanding it can be really complicated. And in those days, there was a lot less information and a lot less research. So we really, we didn't know what was going on. We just knew we had this quirky kid who wasn't sort of fitting in to any normal expectations. So what or were you typical. seeing? What were, what were they dealing with? Um, so my oldest kid had was a significant anxiety, a lot of emotionality issues, um, just difficulty managing her emotional intensity. I see. Um, she was bouncing off the walls, hyperactive. Um, she, as she got into elementary school, had a hard time keeping up with the girls socially or connecting with girls socially. Um, she was very athletic. She was able to have a good outlet that way um, and, and very creative. So she was, did really well in um, theater or drama, but, you know, not so well on the playground. <laughs> you know, she was comfortable playing with the boys because she wasn't able to read the visual cues of the girls. Um, she couldn't keep up with what's called the pragmatics of language with the girls. So there were lot, lots of pieces that made it very hard socially for her to connect. Um, and she just sort of marched to the beat of her own drum, just always from, from the very beginning. And then her, her younger sister had very different issues, and, and she turned out to be dyslexia, dyslexic. Mm -hmm. So she was struggling with reading. And, you know, you've got this really, really bright, bright kid who clearly was not reading at the level. And, you know, for years they tell you, well, it's still within the range of normal and you have to sort of ride it out. Now we know how powerfully important early intervention is. But in those days, it was still a bit of a dance. And so, you know, when we finally got her tested in, I think, second grade, and came to her and said, you know, sweetie, now I understand a lot more about your brain and how your brain works, and now we can really help you learn. And she looked at me with these tears and started crying, you know, Mommy, I've been trying so hard. And she had been trying so hard, but you can only white-knuckle it for so long. Yeah. You know, you need the strategies. You need compensatory skills. You need to understand what's happening with how your brain works so you can learn to manage it in this world. Uh, you know, I, we, we experienced some of the same things. My daughter is going to be 12 um, in July, and her issues are more on the spectrum of dyslexia, um, and you know, learning challenges, but there is some measure of ADD there, mm -hmm. um, w which we learned through the the process of the psychoeducational evaluation. It was right. not significantly severe. Um, it was just kind of a component, and and as much as anything, a lot of her anxiety or inability to focus was 
based on just the challenges that she was trying to deal with as uh, related to just learning environment and all of that. Okay. We did the occupational therapy thing. That did do some some um, some benefit, some good for her. Yeah. I call OT voodoo. I don't understand it, but it really works. Yeah. You know, it's <laughs> like... It, it, they're they're playing, okay? They're in there doing all these crazy things, but, but it's great. okay, it works. It has to do with the proprioceptive system and the vestibular system. Yes, and that's, that's right. Where they are knowledge. in space, right. um, yeah. it's strange how they, you know, cr- crossing the midline was an issue, different yeah. things like that that I had no clue about. Um, but certainly athletics, as you described for her, was also good. Yeah, great outlet. Just because it forced um, some improvement in core strength and different things like that, that mm-hmm. uh, those kids, the vestibular, pro- you know, um, uh, sensory processing type because that's a part sensory of sensory is a whole it's yeah. another piece yeah. of it yeah and, and and so it's interesting to me um that from what i understand some of those learning issues can actually be misdiagnosed actually as add adhd or or you know, vice versa yeah right it's th- it's it seems like they really kind of blend together it's it's incredibly complicated yeah uh, again because 70 percent of these these kids and adults have coexisting conditions. So really getting clear on what it is, is, is an art. Um, and unfortunately at this point, it's still more art than science. And so um, even with psychoed testing, which I'm a big believer in, there's a huge amount of interpretation involved. So I've seen kids who are clearly ADD be diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder and not ADD and vice versa. Yeah. Um, because you know, my daughter, my middle kid is now 18 just this week, but my kid's just 18. And we're still struggling sometimes with, are we managing the anxiety or are we managing the ADHD? Which one is the lead or dominant challenge? Yeah, what causes the other, yeah. Because because they do blend. And, you know, the LD tends to be a little more direct and easy to, to manage. You know, kid with dyslexia can be learned the rules of reading, right? So they can learn compensatory strategies that if they choose to use the strategies... They don't. The dyslexia doesn't disappear, but it becomes manageable. Did your kids end up going to uh, Atlanta Speech or Skank or a, a, uh, another variation Swift like ours? Yeah. That's where ours my, is. My uh, middle kid ended up at a program called Missy Lote, which was like a okay. variation on Skank. And, and from what I understand, those schools um, do a lot. One, the in learning environment is different. Um, Amazing. It lets them actually be themselves there, and and um, if they have to have some measure of movement to remain focused that's that's okay right. it also takes away the shame yeah and that everybody else is the same every- as you that's <laughs> right yeah they and, become typical and 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 they actually get to learn they can yes. they can learn um it's not like it's easy they're learning we're, we're getting into algebra now um but i had no idea until i started looking into things for the show um was looking at the cdc's website and and i'm not sure i assume it's fairly accurate um it states as many as 11 percent of children 4 to 17 diagnosed with ADHD as of 2011. And I was kind of struck as, uh, as you look at the CDC's website talking about it, how when you look at the geography of it, there's some measure of pattern, if you will, the, the Southeast and the Appalachian States up to the Midwest are, are very, you know, concentrated compared to some of the other parts of the country and at first my guess was well it's it's population based but you know, new york is less than um like for example our region so i'm kind of curious about that is if there's I, an environmental factors or are there dietary factors that kind of come into play i i know the research you're talking about and i i think that it's neither environmental i mean i do think that there's an environmental component um but really what you're talking about is diagnosis is so complex 
that it really, part of the, the variations we see in diagnosis have to do with the level of training and expertise and, um, and how elevated awareness is in that region mm. or that area. So, um, and how accessible support is and diagnosis is. So if you're in a community where parents are only support is a local pediatrician who has no training in ADHD, you're going to see lower numbers than if you're in a metropolitan area where there are more psychologists, where there's more resources with access to the, the psychologists, where perhaps maybe the insurance might be better, might cover it in areas where don't. So there, it's really more, I think, more political in that respect mm -hmm. than it is... Um, I don't think that we have different numbers in different parts of the of the country or of you the world. You just think it's better diagnosis. It's better diagnosis in some places. Kentucky yeah. rates uh, in this in this information. Kentucky ranks eighteen point seven percent. I'm like, what? <laughs> I mean, uh, one so, imagine that one in five kids almost. But but so here's the other thing is that because it is very difficult to diagnose, what happens is. You know, there's this political thing about is it overdiagnosed? Right. And in some areas, it probably is overdiagnosed, and yeah. in other areas, it's underdiagnosed. And, and and let's talk about that for just a moment. Uh, and I suppose we should probably back up and just talk a little bit more about what is ADD, what is ADHD, and define the two, and then we can talk about how they diagnose it. Because just okay. I, I think that'll tie into what we're just talking about. Um, because I think it's sometimes diagnosed by pediatricians and not by a psychiatrist, That's for example, correct. who probably should be doing that kind of diagnosis, or a psychologist, psychiatrist, or you can talk more I, about, that. about that. You're yeah. maybe I'm off the off the road. So, tell us what is okay, ADHD? First, what is it? ADD? Tell okay, me what, so what ADD makes that. ADD is a subset of ADHD. Okay. Okay. So ADD is attention deficit disorder. Terrible names. Part of right. the problem is the names are so misleading. Because it's really not about a deficit of attention. It's about a regulation of attention, the ability to regulate. Um, and, and really, I would identify, well, so ADD is part of ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Um, it used to be that we looked at them, we said there was inattentive type and hyperactive type. Yes. Now it's sort of all under this rubric of ADHD. And the five markers that we look for are significant impairment in disorganization, attention, impulsivity, emotionality, and hyperactivity, right? So, so that's a lot of different issues that we're looking at. And so there's a scale of, I want to say, 17 or 19, and if they hit a certain number of those markers of that scale, if they're impacted in any single aspect of their life, and oftentimes they look for multiple aspects. So if they're having problems at home and at school, for example, that would, that would aid in the ability to diagnose. But so you can't diagnose with a blood test or, a, you know, right. I mean, we're moving in that direction and that's what I'll, I'll get to, but, um, but we're not there yet. So right now the diagnosis is sort of a diagnosis of elimination mm -hmm. and it's a diagnosis of interpretation. It really requires a trained eye to interpret the information and spend enough time talking to the, you know, getting information from the teachers, from the school and in, in the case of children. Um, and in the case of adults, from other family members as well as the individual. So it requires some detective work, and that takes a lot of time that insurance doesn't pay for. Right. So, so diagnostic, the diagnostic piece is a huge part of the problem of effectively identifying and treating ADHD because if we're not getting good effective identification 
um, then we do end up with problems with with kids on meds who don't need to be on meds right. or who are on the wrong medication yep. because the pediatrician doesn't have the time, doesn't have the training, and isn't getting re- reimbursed for the time that they spend. And that's a serious problem because the first point of entry for most families across the country, at least in the U.S., is the pediatrician. Right. It makes sense. And, and it's going to be. Yeah. You know, it, you could argue that the gold standard is psychoeducational testing or psychiatric evaluation, but that's unrealistic and unaffordable for most Americans. Yeah, it is. It's expensive. It's a, it's disappointingly expensive. It is. I mean, we were fortunate to be able to do it, but I can see easily right. how many. I mean, because I think if, the, if you pay out of pocket, I think the total cost is somewhere approaching $3,000. Um, you know, even after our what was a fairly robust insurance policy paid, we still came out of pocket, I think, 1200 or something like you that. You did pretty well. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, it, it was twelve to 1600 I don't remember exactly. Yeah. It's been long enough ago now, but it was a lot. And then you have to do it every three to five years. Yeah. And then, I mean, <laughs> you know, nice in order to get the evaluation at school <laughs> yeah. and or to get, you know, the accommodations you need at school. And, you know, in my work, I work with parents all over the, over the world, but particularly in this country, Parents don't, most parents don't have the ability to pay the, those fees. Oh, they don't have access. They don't know how to find a psychologist to do that kind mm-hmm. of testing. Um, and so they're trusting their local pediatrician who is not well-trained, generally speaking, is not well-trained. And, and that's why I was saying we're sort of moving in a different direction. I'm doing some work with the American Academy of Pediatrics. And um, we're doing some, they're doing a, a, a they're trying to, to shift the, the way that quality of ADHD identification as treatment is being done. So there's a pilot project to try to address this issue. And they've sort of brought me in as a, as a consultant to work with them on it. Um, it's a great group of people. And what I'm learning in this process is that there's beginning to be some ways to measure and identify through, um, through other more medical measures to identify uh, whether ADHD is present, and if so, what medications would be appropriate for treatment. We've so been, I think that's in the future. We've been talking with Elaine Taylor-Klaus of Impact ADHD, uh, clearly an expert on the subject, and, and is providing through their website um, and their coaching resources ways to get help for parents and for um, you know, patients uh, of uh, ADD, ADHD, um, and I'm really pleased to be here talking to you because clearly, I mean, it's, it's, it affects a lot of people. Um, you know, I noticed in your biography that it talked about the fact that you, you learned that you yourself are a person that was dealing with ADHD. And did that come from kind of trying to find out what was going on with your children? And then as you began to learn about the, what they were dealing with and, and became educated about that, did, did that then make you kind of go and explore it yourself going, wait a second, I kind of, see some of that in my own life. Well, I think there are two things. One is I, I joke, I tease my husband that, that at some point when it was very clear that my third child was going to be diagnosed, he wasn't yet, but I knew the signs by this point. And I knew that it was coming and knew that, that he was a hyperactive kid. Um, I sort of looked around and went, there is no way that all of this neurology can just be my husband's. <laughs> There's just no way. And I was actually trying to go back to school at the time, so I had an evaluation done for myself um, because I had been very, you know, I was bright. I had gone to a really good college mm-hmm. and I burned out after college. I'd never gone to graduate school. And it, it something didn't make sense. And so when I had my, myself evaluated and identified, un, you know, had been undiagnosed learning disabilities and attention issues, all of a sudden my whole life made sense. 
and I began to see the choices that I had made all the way through to manage and accommodate and, and make my life work because I hadn't understood that I had these problems. So, um, you know, my husband and I have come to treatment as adults and have been able to introduce this to our kids at a much earlier age, which sets them up for success in a whole different way than, than we. Because we really sort of pushed through it for years and tried really, really hard. Yeah. But there's only so much you can try hard. You can't accommodate for a different kind of brain wiring just by trying harder. And right. that's one of the mistakes that I think that we make as parents and, and even as adults, that when you have somebody whose brain is wired to be a stimulation seeker, whose brain is wired to be sluggish unless something really innervates them, something really moves them or motivates them, um, you have to approach helping them get anything done in a very different way. You have to help people find their motivations, and that applies for both kids and adults. So what, you know, what unmanaged ADD looks like for kids is, you know, that we see it all the time, kids who are bouncing off the walls, kids who are said to be misbehaving or rude or disrespectful, and, you know, our prisons are filled with, with undiagnosed, untreated young adults who never got support for managing the mm-hmm. world in a different way. And then as adults, we see the term stimulation. Well-channeled, you see it in people who are doing um, marathons and high-risk kinds of, uh, you know, skydiving and, you know, those kinds of things, looking for stimulation, looking for something to connect with. Um, And in the negative ways, you see, um, I think, a lot of sex addiction and a lot of failed marriages from from people who are continuing to to seek stimulation in different ways that are not healthy for relationships are healthy for themselves. So as we were kind of starting to talk about where people go to get diagnosis, you, you mentioned the fact that many of us start with the pediatrician. It's clear we're going to be going there once or twice a year, right. um, following up on milestones, particularly on the young children. Um, so is the best advice for the parent, because we talked about the fact that one of the I don't know if definitive is the best word, but a very good way to determine kind of what we're dealing with is that psychoeducational analysis, which is typically done by, from what I understand, psychiatrists. It was for us. Psychologists. Um, They they administer a battery of tests of all types and do, as you mentioned, an extensive interview process. Um, And it's clearly pretty expensive. Uh, Insurance can cover some of it, but only part of it is still expensive even after that. So, Understanding those things, um, what is your advice for the most, I guess, effective way to try to pursue, my child is really dealing with this or I'm dealing mm-hmm. with this, to try to get an answer? So, so, and it's different if it's an adult or a child. So if it's a child, what I would say is you go to your pediatrician and you start there and you ask. And if you, if you get the sense that you have a pediatrician who um, is well enough versed to have a thoughtful conversation with you about it, then you, 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 know, you keep pursuing that, you ask for referrals. Um, there's a lot of online resources for, for information. CHAD has an extraordinary amount of resources. Uh, it's chadd.org, um, which is the international, or the national nonprofit on this, and I serve on the board of CHAD. It's a great resource. So what sorts of questions should I um, ask my doctor if I'm gonna, you know, to try to de- determine? So, I think you start by asking, you know, I suspect that my child has ADHD or the school suspects because usually it comes from yeah. there's something. It's it's not just happening yeah, at home. What's with us too, yeah. Right. Um, and if you get, yeah, yeah, well, this is what kids are, then 
find another pediatrician. And I'm and I don't say that callously. I mean, really, um, you ne- you really want to ask around, ask the schools, call the special needs schools, even if your kid's not there. Yeah. Find out what physicians are engaged because what we're beginning to see is more and more practices where you'll see a larger pediatric practice and they have one person in that practice who sort of specializes in ADD. And we're beginning to see pediatric practices around the country that ex- specialize exclusively in treating families with ADHD. Um, uh, Focus MD has started to create clinics all over the, the South um, who, are, who are consciously treating ADHD from a pediatric perspective in a very different way. And I think that you just really want to keep asking until you find somebody who likes working with these kids and who is really interested in it because it requires additional training and additional information and education. From an adult perspective, I think really you can start with your GP, but you're probably going to end up with a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's no shame in that, in ending up with a psychiatrist. That's really what you're looking yeah, for. Yeah, we're dealing with the brain. That's right. And so you want someone who um, is going to ask you the right questions, is going to have a conversation with your spouse. Um, there's a touchy area. You don't necessarily want them going into your area of employment, right? Um, but you really want someone who's looking at all of the different coexisting conditions that, that could be to make sure that we're not dealing with anxiety or depression um, in particular. Those are the two biggest, or, or bipolar or mm-hmm. addiction issues, or, you know, there are all sorts of other things as adults that could be masking the ADHD because ADHD uh, adults who are untreated tend to have a higher risk of, ch- of addiction and depression and other kinds of of conditions like that. Mm-hmm. I know when I think about myself, because I've and now as I was reading these statistics, and it talked about the fact that it's as hereditary as height. Yeah, like <laughs> usually it's about fifty percent. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. and so you know, I, I uh, once we learned about Olivia, sort of what you described with your own experience, you learned about your children and went through that process with them and became educated along the way. And I had never really contemplated it for myself. And quite honestly, I've never pursued it to, to see because I mean, I, I've, I, obviously there must be some measure of continuum of severity, obviously. Um, you know, and if I do deal with it, I think it's perhaps on the lower end of intensity scales, but, um, you know, I know myself, uh, Jay said something the other day as we were talking about today's topic that, that really resonated with me because in a way it's, it's very much like what makes me go, geez, man, I wonder if I have ADHD or ADD. Um, he said, if I had a nickel for every time I got distracted, I need some ice cream. and it is it's that's that's really a lot like you know my work day sometimes as i'm trying to say i have a number of tasks and this is important that's important that's important and i'll be thinking about that and then i'll look at that and then boom all of a sudden i'm down this rabbit hole of um, i feel like i'm literally spinning around in circles yeah chasing this and that and this and that and going and and it's kind of i don't know stressful yeah, it can be really stressful. Well, th- so here's here's what it comes down to is ADHD is diagnosed if it interferes or impairs your ability to function significantly in some aspect of your life. So a lot of us have sort of, as we call it, maybe the spectrum of or ADHD kinds of symptoms um, you know, because it's all about how effective is our executive function. And we'll talk about that in a second. Um, and so, you know, some people have really highly developed 
areas of executive function. They're structured. They're organized. They're linear thinkers. They're, you know, blah, 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 blah. And some of us more creative types tend to be um, a little more circular in our thinking sometimes and may not have those same skills. So if it interferes with our ability to function effectively to get done what we need to get done, then it might be diagnosed as ADHD. But, you know, this whole idea that, well, I'm ADHD because I'm a creative thinker, it, it, that's not it. Because if it's not really inter- interfering... <laughs> it's helping you get things done. It's not necessarily that's right. and a problem. That's right. And, I mean, look at the Richard Ramsons of the world who figured out how to turn it in, and turn that liability into an asset. And I always say to my daughter, your greatest, your greatest challenge is your greatest strength. So her ability to be, as an actor, to be completely present in that moment is extraordinary. When she's trying to get something done in the house and her ability to hyper-focus on one thing and sort of lose everything else, not so great. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. it, it is a serious impairment for her in some areas, which is thus the diagnosis. But it definitely has a strength associated with it. And when adults learn to channel it or to play to their strengths, then it's oftentimes it never even needs diagnosis because they've figured out how to make it work. They've figured out how to compensate in their life. Our kids don't know how to do that. And so as as parents, our job is to help them understand how their brain works and how to learn to manage and compensate for it. Um, I often say that the, the ADD brain is a specialist's brain, and school is a generalist's world. Right. Right. And so we're expecting these kids to be good at everything and do well at everything and, and, and have the executive function to be able to plan and prioritize and sequence and, and all of these things. Um, and they just don't yet have the capacity for that. Their brain is still developing. They tend to be three to five years behind their same age peers in some aspect of their development. Um, and so for them, one, it takes longer. We just have to be more patient and, not, and set realistic expectations. Um, but also, their brains are just wired to function differently. And so we have to help them find what they're great at instead of expecting them to be great at what their brain's not wired to do well. And the same is true for adults. We just tend to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Elaine Taylor-Klaus of Impact ADHD is sharing some excellent information for us about ADHD, ADD, and some of the other components of uh, the, the mental um, or neurological functions that kind of fall under that, uh, giving some advice on what to think about as it relates to trying to get a diagnosis, for example, and she, she talked about the fact that you know, we all end, end up going to our pediatrician, you know, most often. But ask some questions: How often are you dealing with this? What are your thoughts about it? Think, you know, get a sense for their willingness to treat uh, and, and and interact on the level of time that it takes to do that effectively. And if not, I thought it was great advice to potentially reach out to some of the schools in the area. If you look at the Atlanta area. Three that I know about are Skank, Atlanta Speech, and Swift, but there are others you mentioned, Tons one, them, yeah. um, that deal with children that are high potential, that have some learning disabilities and possibly some uh, attention uh, deficit um, disorder that, that we're talking about here today as a component of what they're facing. So those, those resources will know. Where, where you can go, um, I'm sure they can recommend pediatricians, for example, that, um, that deal with this effectively, as well as where do you go to get the psychoeducational analysis that we've talked about as well. That's how I found it, is yeah. uh, the, the, the private school made a recommendation to uh, a, a doctor that we could link up with for, for diagnosis. And so uh, once we're diagnosed, how do we treat it? 
because from what I understand, I mean, everybody knows about medications and the whole um, Ritalin and all that kind of stuff and the medications uh, that, you know, everybody thinks it's just a pill, but it's not, from what I understand, that there's more to it than that to be really effective. So talk about how do we best treat it. Well, you know, we always say don't just medicate it, manage it, because... You know, you can you can medicate some aspects of ADHD, but you cannot medicate executive function. You cannot give a kid a me- uh, with a messy room medication and all of a sudden they're going to have a neat room. <laughs> yeah. It just doesn't work <laughs> that way, right? So ADHD is is about the way the brain is wired, and um, it's a and so we have to take these kids and these adults who have this fascinating, creative, interesting approach to the world, curious approach to the world. Um, and teach them how to accommodate or how to get make it work in this in the world that they're living in with the expectations that they have. So, um, as parents, you know, the work that we do is exclusively with parents, not with kids. Um, and people always come and say, "Well, you know, I want you to teach my kid this." And what I've <laughs> learned is, at the end of the day, the parents got to understand it well enough to create an environment that helps that kid learn to manage, learn to, ac- to accomplish what they need to accomplish. You're sort of like Caesar Milan, only for folks that <laughs> exactly. are, who's got a family yeah, member dealing whisperer. with ADHD. Right. Yeah, you're, you're a parent whisperer. Yeah, <laughs> I, truly, in a lot of ways. I mean, it, we call it the coach approach. And so um, what happened for me was I became a coach. And when I became a coach, I discovered that I became a significantly better parent. And it wasn't rocket science. I could actually teach it to parents. And so what, what I do is I teach parents how to use this great style of communication called coaching right. to empower their kids to independence. But you have to do it one step at a time. And parents get really um, freaked out about my kid's not going to be able to, you know, they look at a 12-year-old and they see what the 18-year-old needs to do and they freak out that the 12-year-old's not where the 18-year-old needs to be. And so we have to sort of pace ourselves and, and take what we call a marathon approach and begin to teach the kids step by step, little by little, to unpack the lunchbox, right? To put the homework back in the in the lunch in the um, backpack, right? And and not try to ask them to do all of that all the time every day because their brains can't manage all of that at once. We have to teach them one habit at a time and let them let them build that muscle before we move on to the next. And that's it takes a little patience. I've seen that, <laughs> I've seen that kind of uh, progression with Olivia through through in her. School. I mean, forgetfulness, oh my goodness gracious. I mean, we still deal with it. Of course. But it's it's certainly gotten much better, and the the system of thinking or how they approach keeping up with their homework, what do I have to bring to school, what do I have to do homework-wise, and things like that, they've given them tools. And that's part of that type of learning environment mm-hmm. for the kids is being able to advocate, being able to develop Huge. tools that they can use to work well and for them to own it as theirs i mean the the key is that so often as parents when we're afraid of it and and we i hear often parents who won't even tell their kids that they've been diagnosed which sort of makes me a little crazy because the kids know something's going on they're not frustrated what's going on exactly why am i so different yeah right and then they start feeling dumb yeah right that was mine yeah Yeah. i mean she just thought she was stupid yeah it's very common and it's so hard to see it was the hardest thing i ever dealt with yeah um she broke her leg and it was terrible but this was worse yeah when she was just crying as hard as she could 
that, uh, you know, when they were learning math facts in second yeah. grade. I'll never forget it. It was um, really heartbreaking. Because they can't get themselves to do what they know they should be able to do, and they feel like they could, but they can't. Right. They it seems like why. it should be so easy. Everybody else is doing right. this. It's so, oh, why can't I? And then parents get frustrated. Why can't they just? Right. And that yeah. just sort of reinforces that negative. You just knew this a minute ago. What's up? Right. Why don't you know that? <laughs> right. So they must not be trying hard enough. So you talked about coaching yeah. and, and working with the parents. Talk about that, because I know in, learn, in looking through the, the Impact ADHD website, that was a big part of what you talk about yeah. is is the coaching side of things and helping parents kind of learn how to take care of themselves along the way mm-hmm. uh, to manage their own level of anxiety and, and just their own and stress. health. Yeah. yeah. Um, so can you talk about some of your strategies that you're yeah, I love helping that. people with? Um, well, and I was thinking you had asked about how do you treat it. And so mm-hmm. um, one course of treatment for ADHD is medication. Um, it's the most researched, as you can imagine. But really what we're seeing more and more now is, is the impact of behavioral treatment. Um, behavioral therapy, which the AAP defines pretty broadly. It doesn't mean therapy. It's therapeutic approach. So it may be coaching. It may be training. It may be therapy. Um, It may be some of the other interventions and alternative things that have come up. Who do I need to do that with? Um, It sort of depends on what you're trying to, what you choose, what path you choose to take. But what we know for sure, particularly for parents, is um, that parent training is a huge impact, and it incre- increases the efficacy of medication, and it improves outcomes for kids with or without medication. So parent training, what we do at Impact ADHD is a combination of parent training and coaching, so that we're training parents, but then we're keeping them in an environment where there's some accountability for them to put it into practice, to try it, to tweak it, to modify it, to work for their environment. Because, you know, the problem with traditional parenting is that they come out and they say, okay, try this. And that just doesn't work for all kids. And so we need to say, this is what we're trying to achieve. How do we adapt it to what this kid needs? So if I have a kid who's a sensory kid, um, I may approach things differently if they're very sensitive to sound or smell. Then mine was right. Both exactly crazy. So so then I may want to make sure that I have systems in place that are going to take that into account, um, rather than just say, well, this is the system that the expert said to use, so we should use it. <laughs> yeah. Right. So the reason we coach parents is because you really have to take what you understand and modify it to meet that kid at that stage of development, because that's the other thing. Just when you've got it. They're growing and they're changing. So, you know, ADD at a seven-year-old looks really different from ADD in a 17-year-old. And, um, you know, give me the parent of a seven-year-old any day (laughs) because that you can really get some good communication systems in place and you can really really set a framework for communication that empowers that kid. Because as I, I said a minute ago, the goal is to help the kid understand that it's their job to own and manage themselves. And a lot of times we see helicopter parents who are doing what they think they're supposed to do because they're told, put systems in place and hold them, you know, create the systems for them, be consistent, which is great. But we forget that we've got to pass the, the baton from us to them. And the kids have got to receive that baton and, and say, yeah, I got this one. I'm on it. 
Um, and it takes time. It's very, it's, it, it's, it can be very frustrating as a parent because I'm, I think I spent three years trying to get my son to unpack his lunchbox at the end of the day. Um, and we were just sort of persistently, you know, setting that expectation, not punitive because it, he wasn't forgetting on purpose, but, you know, getting him into that habit. If you come in and you don't do anything else to you unpack your lunchbox, it took a long time. Um, but he's got to own it as his, and he's got to have a reason for doing it. You know, if he didn't unpack his lunchbox, he had to make himself lunch the next day. It was a good motivation, right? Nothing punitive, not mad at him, not yelling at him, just this is, this is how it works so that he could own managing it. And now he's going into high school next year, and I see a whole different way that he owns his work and owns his responsibilities than his oldest sister did because we didn't understand this when she was coming up, right? But we have been able to teach him to take responsibility for himself in a very different way and by, by helping him learn to do it, but not by doing it for him, but by empowering him to, to own it and, and see what he's capable of. Um, and it's really very powerful, and it takes a lot of work. So how does the coaching relationship work? Uh, I assume it's, it's virtual, Everything we do is virtual, yeah. So talk about what is that, how does that work? Well, so what we've designed is is programs to meet parents at different places where they are um, based on two issues. One is accessibility, uh, three issues, I guess, accessibility, affordability, and based on how they learn because a lot of these parents have ADD themselves, Mm -hmm. right? So, um, you know, we have a range of different programs. Uh, We have some that are online only, like online home study programs that are videos and interactive where they can do exercises and answer questions, coaching questions. Um, We have a group coaching program that's phenomenal where they can call into a small group twice a month and and literally get a coaching session with a coach and and some other parents. Um, And then we do private coaching one-to-one. Then we have, you know, a, a range of other programs, but everything is designed to sort of help parents become part of a conversation about how to manage their kids. Um, Everything we do has some access to an open Q&A call so that at least once or twice a month they can call and ask questions of a coach so that there's always someone they can talk to. Um, But the goal is for them to begin to become more conscious and thoughtful about how am I parenting this kid and how do I want to shift, what do I need to do for myself and for my kid to shift to create the family environment that I want. Because a lot of these parents, a lot of these families are stressed out. Yeah, and that's They're what tired I was, of yelling. That's what I was just going to say is is that I would imagine that as as you begin to work with a parent, and we're not talking therapy, we're talking Mm-mm. coaching uh, them on just tools that they can use and ways of seeing ways things, of thinking is yes, a lot of it. Yeah, um, that would begin to just as you just now mentioned start to take out some of the stress of the situation. I guess I think a lot of the stress that folks feel, having been one of those people, you, you feel powerless and frustrated because you can't do anything. You feel like you should be able to do something, and but scared. I can't. scared. Scared yeah. for the future of your kid. Yeah. Like, if I don't help my kid figure out how to make his bed, he's going to fail in life, right? Um, or he's going to end up living on my couch in 20 years, which I really don't want, <laughs> right. right? Or he's going to end up in jail, Yeah. right? I mean, these are the real fears that parents have. And, and to some extent, they're real fears. The dropout rates the, the, um, for, for kids with ADD that are, that are not treated are pretty high, right? Um, and the risks that these kids have in terms of, as I mentioned, addiction and, and sexuality and some of those other concerns, it's pretty high for the kids who are not treated. 
for the kids who are not well-managed. But when you start managing it, particularly if you do it early, and you begin to bring kids into their own management, you get really different outcomes and really, really different results. So we try to teach parents. Um, part of it is, is a perspective. How do you begin to understand this differently, right? And so there's a whole bunch of conversation around the perspectives around and understanding ADD from a different different angle. Um, and then we teach them strategies. You know, we have a four-step process to escape the stress cycle, right? Because when our kids get triggered or we get triggered, the brain takes over. I call it amygdala hijack, right? We're no longer operating from our frontal lobe. <laughs> we got the lizard brain going. <laughs> we got the lizard brain going. <laughs> and the truth is when you're there, there's nothing anybody can do that's reasonable. Yeah. And you have got to escape that. You've got to step out of that. And it's a physiological change you have to make in your body to do that. And parents need to understand that pushing them and pushing and screaming and screaming isn't helping anybody. And they don't want to be doing it. But they need a way to change that. And so we teach them strategies to shift that. How do, you, how do I not yell at my kid? Right? How do I stay calm? It's a big question. And there are actually ways that we can help them do that. And so we talked about the fact that behavioral therapy in in many many cases tends to be a, a necessary part if they can get Huge. to that right. um and from what i understand a lot of kids and going back to the cdc st statistics that i was looking at earlier that talked about the fact that many kids just get a medication mm -hmm. that's um, part of the problem yeah and and so that without the other it does it's much much less effective if if not at all right um Talk about that. How do I seek out the best therapy well, source? So what I would, I would say, come to impactadhd.com okay. if you're a parent, for sure, um, because you're going to get uh, information about how. Every, there are a lot of experts telling parents what to do, yeah. and we really try to focus on how do you do it in a way that really works. Um, I think the biggest thing is for parents to, to let go of the stigma of I'm supposed to know how to do this mm -hmm. because I'm the parent, so I should know this, um, and be open to getting some training and getting some support. And I think, you know, for many, many years, the only thing available to parents were therapists and educational consultants. That was it. And most, most of our parents don't need a therapist. Their kid may need a therapist, but they don't need a therapist. They need a guide. Right. They need somebody to help them figure out how do I, how do I do this? How do I make these decisions? I've got twelve people t giving me twelve different bits of advice. How do I assess what decision to make for my kid and what to do next? So I'm a huge proponent of coaching for that reason because it's not that I know what a parent should do, but I know how to help a parent by asking the questions to help him or her figure out what decision they want to make next. And, and I like to caution parents that we're making these decisions month by month and year by year. <laughs> you know, we, we, these are not kids that we can plan 12 years ahead for. We just don't know. Education is a year-by-year -year decision. Um, we may end up in the same place for several years and, and be really lucky with that, but we need to be constantly reevaluating based on with where this kid is now. Are we still in the best place? Is this still the best environment? So we need to have, as parents, a process for decision-making. Um, which can be really hard to do when you're getting barraged by all this different advice and information. And even in a psychoed evaluation, at the end of it, you get, you know, three pages of recommendations. Like, <laughs> yeah, you're supposed a, to be able to do something with that. a stack of papers right? you get. 
So, so I, so I think that that training, getting a good parent training, whether it's through Chad's Parent to Parent or through our Sanity School, or um, we have an online program called Sanity School. It's yeah. great um, to just get a foundational understanding of what's coming on, and then find the resource that's going to support you through it, whether it's a coach or a therapist or a consultant or or a teacher, whoever it is. But but for parents to not do it alone is key. One, because they need the support. And two, because they're modeling for their kids. If you begin to show, I'm asking for help because I don't know this and I need help, that makes it okay for their kids to say, oh, this is something I'm struggling with. I need help. And one of our biggest obstacles is kids who are, are denying support right? because they're, uh, they're supposed to be right. They're supposed to be perfect. Yeah. And when they hit 18... As parents, we can't advocate for them anymore. So if they don't own it by then and start advocating for themselves, it, things get really, really bad in the university level. We've been speaking with ADHD expert Elaine Taylor Klaus, Klaus sorry, of Impact ADHD, clearly uh, someone who has uh, made available to parents uh, a great range of resources uh, and information for you to find out where do I go to uh, try to seek out uh, maybe a diagnosis, to try to seek out uh, treatment for my child. And we talked about medication. Can you talk about that element of it a little bit? Because I know that I know in, in our own experience, as a, when the um, psychologist recommended medication, we were kind of stressed about that, mm-hmm. um, you know, because clearly in, in, in schools now, there's certainly the kids that are abusing the medication, that kind of thing. And we were concerned about that. Um, but of course the, the, the psychologist mentioned just as you did that not treating it, those kids have greater incidence of addictions, uh, of behavioral problems and all the things you just mentioned. Uh, she certainly mentioned that to us. So, and so we, we did give it a try. Um, and again, mine, my kid was on the lower end of its severity. Uh, it was a component of what she's dealing with. Mm-hmm. Uh, hers were more the learning issues, I think, based on, you know, everything we've experienced, but, um, attention in, in class was still an issue that was kind of impeding her ability to progress. And so we did do some medication and it did help a little, but she, she was very, she, she, as a kid was able to say, I just don't, I don't like it. It, it makes me, it, I don't like it, it. Right. yeah, it didn't, she didn't like how it made her feel. Um, so, so here's, here's, I'm not an educate, um, medication specialist by any stretch, sure. but, but here's my take on medication. Much like I said, education is a year by year experience. So is medication. Um, I think medication is one of the many tools available to families to support the management of ADHD, children and adults. Um, I'm a believer in it being in activating the brain. We talk a lot and teach parents a lot about the importance of activating the brain, whether it's through medication or nutrition or exercise, whatever it is, that we have to recognize that sometimes we have a sluggish brain and we got to do something to to charge it, to engage it, to get Mm -hmm. it going, Mm -hmm. right? So at the end of a school day... Um, you know, if they're having trouble getting on homework, one of the things we're going to look at is, are we doing, are are they getting a chance to get out and play? Are they, you know, because they need to get the brain reactivated. Mm -hmm. So I look at it as part of activating the brain. Um, I, I support it for those for whom it's a good fit, who either because it works for them or because that's the approach they want to take. And I support those who say, it's not what I want to do. But when a parent comes to me and says, I don't want to put my kids on med, give me something else. I always want to get them to a point where I want them to consider it as a possibility at some point. Because I think 
either either end of the spectrum, I'm all for it or all against it, is missing that there's so much nuance in managing this condition um, that we really have to be open to a full toolbox over a span of life and pull what's needed at different mm-hmm. times. I've had times where I've been on medication, times where I have not been on medication, same for my children. Right. Um, I think there's nothing more powerful than a, than a kid coming to you and saying, I think I'm ready to try something. I could use some help. Yeah. So Look, learning environment for us ended up being uh, a factor strong huge. enough that, that it, it overcame the, the, I guess that element of it as, as far as it, how severely it was impacting her in the classroom. But what, what I will say, and, and the part of the reason that the risk of addiction is so high for kids who are not treated, and I want to say treated, not medicated, but yeah. treated, is that those kids are self-medicating. Yeah. They're seeking, and, and uh, I self-medicated for decades. i got to relieve this stress somehow. Right. I, yeah. I did it for a long time, um, not knowing that that's what I was managing. I was managing my own anxiety and my own attention issues um, in not a healthy way, right? So... Um, now I know and I understand and I can choose what medication I can use and I can choose what exercise I do. But um, for kids, they can't make, they're not ready to make that choice. And so we want to really create an environment that helps them understand the choices they're going to be making um, and help make them for them when they're younger. And so that by the time they're in the middle teens, they tend to really want to be part of that decision, if not before. And I think they should be. Because it's not saying either you take your meds or you don't, but it's saying here's what happens when you do and here's what happens when you don't. And, and you're at choice, and I want you to be conscious of what you're trying to achieve by taking it. And that's what I would say to all parents about medication. If you're going to put your child on medication, and this is the same for adults and children, be clear what you're trying to achieve. Make sure that what you want to get from it is achievable by that medication. Mm-hmm. So talk to the doctor about that. Mm-hmm. And if so, have a way to monitor it. Because part of what happens is parents put their kids on meds and then they come back and they say, I don't know if it's working or not. But they don't have any clear idea of what's yeah, the you behavior gotta they were the trying teachers. to change. You gotta, you, gotta, you gotta let the teachers know, hey, this is what we're doing. Um, we well, gotta get but you feedback. Gotta talk, and, you, and you gotta talk to the doctor to find out what's this medication supposed to do right is it lowering arousal is it increasing uh, engagement is it because sometimes we see weird side effects of, of medications that you wouldn't expect um I've, one kid i can't i can't tell you if it was an add med or a, or a, a other kind of psych med um but i remember a conversation from a parent the kid was starting to to steal um, and it was uncharacteristic for this. It was like an eight-year-old kid. And it had to do with, with what the medication was doing. And so they shifted the medication. And it wasn't that he was all of a sudden some delinquent kid. Sure. But it was lowering his inhibition. Yeah. And by lowering his inhibition, it had a different impact than they were looking for. So you want to get really clear when you try medication on what's the goal you're trying to achieve. And you've really got to watch it. And like I say, you got to, yeah. you, you yourself... Do you have to talk to the kid? Um, yep. You can't be afraid to talk to the kid. You're not empowering them to, because, I mean, at that young age particularly, they're not they're not likely to be manipulative in their responses. No. They're, they sh- I, I think that you should include them in the process, but then also cl- clearly the teachers that you're dealing with as well. Well, and the kids want to know that at the end of the day, you're making the decision, that you want their input, you want to hear what they have to say, but they don't want to feel responsible for the decision. So you want to be able to say, I want to hear what you have to say. We're going to try this. We're going to, we're going to keep talking to you and listen. And, and if it's not working for you, we're going to change it. But, we're, but, but they don't want final authority because that's a little stressful. 
Has there been any kind of correlation identified between things that we're eating now that relate to like GMO kind of things and corn? We're going to have to invite me back for another conversation. Fructose, corn syrup, different things like that. (laughs) Um, So it sounds like there may be some some measure of of relationship between some of those things in terms of perhaps severity or anything like that. There's. There's a question about okay. it. I think so. Is it being looked at? It's being looked at. You know, it it doesn't. It's not being looked at by the pharmaceutical companies. So there's not a lot of oh. re- there's not a lot of money behind it. Of course it. not. Um, but it is, it is a part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. Environmental toxins, right. food sensitivities. I mean, mm-hmm. brain gut barrier issues. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a whole new realm of conversation that's happening. Um, there's not as much research as I think any of us would like on it. And now there's a backlash. I just read. We're we're big gluten-free people. We went gluten-free about 10 and a half years Did ago. Did it make a difference for you? Enormous. Enormous difference. Um, and we had testing to prove it before and after. So we actually were able to verify it. But it's not for everybody yeah. by any stretch. And I would never go on to say that, you know, you That's need to be on key. a gluten-free yes, diet. Right. You just need to assess what's happening and, and, and consider it. But now there's a backlash. There's a book that just came out. And, I mean, of course. You know, there's always going to be a backlash. <laughs> That's, so. a, that's what sells books. You come out a couple years later after the big trend, and then you change it again. Um, as we talked about the other day, uh, when, when we connected about the, the upcoming show, I talked to you about the fact that, you know, we want to know, well, what do you need to, to advance what you're trying to achieve? So I'll throw that to you while we're here. What do you need? Is it just simply awareness that there's a resource like yours available? Anything else? I, I think it's 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 a couple of things. It's it's awareness. I mean, I, for me, it's it's for parents to use Impact ADHD as a resource for physicians and therapists and occupational therapists and teachers to send parents and to to bust that myth that says to parent that parents believe they're supposed to know how to do it all on their own. I think that's the to, to break down these stereotypes and the stigma around what does it mean to have a diagnosis. Um, I, you know, I think that. When we look at it in the big picture, we have somewhere in the neighborhood to 10% of the population who have this very interesting brain wiring that doesn't really work terribly well in our modern world. And so we have to learn to accommodate it. And, and so what we need is to raise awareness without judgment, without mm-hmm. shame, that, that there is another way of approaching that, that we can learn to self-manage and that these creative brains can be our greatest successes. They can be our greatest thinkers and inventors and teachers and entrepreneurs and actors and they're brilliant human beings when we can help them learn to manage themselves well enough to channel their creative genius in in service of this larger world and I think that's the piece that I want is for people to just break down those barriers and the mythology and just let them be human. Well, you made an hour go by really quickly. <laughs> it was great fun. Thank you. <laughs> Hopefully we've shared some information that will be helpful for parents uh, and providers out there, if you're listening, that uh, that may run into either parents or, or patients that are dealing with ADHD or some component of it. Um, make sure you get to their website, uh, impactadhd.com. Mm-hmm. You're on social media as well. I've, Absolutely. We've linked up with you there. Uh, they put out some great information. Their website is fantastic. You need to go check it out. Uh, plenty of information about their team, uh, about their coaching that they provide to uh, parents to be able to better cope and, and, and deal with um, a child or a family member who's uh, facing ADHD. So Elaine Taylor-Klaus, thanks so so much for taking some time to uh, come and share some great information. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Hopefully we've helped somebody today. I suspect we have. 
and uh, to uh, Diana Keough and the folks over at Sherwick Media Group. Thanks to them for helping make this uh, program uh, available and and help us put out this information for uh, Health Connect South. Um, And uh, we're certainly pleased to be bringing you health experts like this on a week-in, week-out basis. Make sure you make an appointment to uh, link up with us um, here on the show every every Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. We're going to be bringing you more and more folks uh, like uh, like we've done so far. So uh, we look forward to hooking up with you then. Um, Be sure to share this information as well because you never know. You might just help somebody out. So make sure to make an appointment to see us next Tuesday. Catch you then. This show is brought to you by Sherwick Media. Sherwick is the health and wellness solution, content that inspires change. Learn more at www.sherwick.com. That's sharewik.com. And link up with us on Facebook and Twitter.